This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first lesson is from Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. Him alone shall you worship To him you shall hold fast, and by his name alone you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Holy wisdom, holy word. The second lesson is from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land that he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of the heaven, as and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. Holy wisdom, holy word. I invite you to rise as we... Hear the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. Today we read from the fifth chapter. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, You should love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your sisters and brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? 
Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I safely avoided doing this for 40 years in ministry. I'm happy to say that I survived the first two services today, but there are no guarantees about the third. It's not that I don't have an opinion. Those of you who know me know that I clearly have an opinion about everything. It's not that I don't think that God has an opinion. God clearly does. But I avoided this subject for 40 years because I was a chicken. To be honest, had I not put it in writing with our music planners, had I not said this is the theme, I did not let our artists know, we had not created the bulletins, as late as yesterday I would have changed my mind and preached on something else. Fourth of July weekend. Thanksgiving and prayers for this nation. And I'm going to walk a really fine line today, a really fine line. So let me start by, by saying that I love the 4th of July, I always have. I got that patriotic spirit in my family and in my genes. Um, we got the flag flying out on our porch at home. Uh, from the time I was a little kid, we flew the flag, we raised it, lowered it, I learned how to fold it. My father served in the Navy, my uncle served in the Coast Guard, was at D-Day. My father-in-law is in the Marines, my son is an intelligence officer in the Navy right now. We went to parades when we were a kid, every parade, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, 4th of July. If it had a flag at the beginning of the parade, we went to it. And we took our kids when when we had children. Uh, Those of you who know me, I've been at the epicenter of Red, White, and Boom for 25 years. The only time I've missed is when I had a heart arrhythmia thing and I had to watch from the Riverside Hospital window. Turns out that I married well, was able to keep that tradition going. Uh, My wife's grandmother was born on the 4th of July. And so that was a time when everybody got together. She was the matriarch of their family. And they would get together for the fireworks and sparklers and to remember what a great country we're part of. And then when you marry a pastor, one of the things that you tell your kids, whether they listen or not is that you don't really need to worry about whose house you're going to be at at Christmas or Easter because your daddy's going to be working anyway. But the 4th of July, you get home for that. Um, when a John Philip Sousa song comes on, I like smile instantly. I'll be whistling the songs that we sing from the fireworks tomorrow night uh, for the next week. So, so I get this part. I hope you get that. Um, but there's also, and there has always been for me, a tension, a tension in all of it. And just naming the tension makes a lot of people not just anxious, but sometimes even really upset. What we're celebrating on the 4th of July is the birth of this nation. Um, July 4th, 1776, Continental Congress approved the final wording of what was called the Declaration of Independence. Really important, independence from what? Independence from another nation, uh, Great Britain who had uh, colonized this land that we live in. And colonized, which means um, by some perceived idea that they had a God-given right to do so, they took this land from those who were already living here and gave it to themselves. And eventually the colonists uh, rebelled 
and their declaration of independence, their signatures, one of which his name was James Wilson, my namesake, started a revolution, a violent war, which ultimately, because of distance from England and because of unlimited resources of this country, we won. And this nation, says the Declaration of Independence, being self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. In those words and that war, this nation was born. And it's a great country, and I I don't think I have to make that case for you. It's a country with amazing resources, with wealth, with vast lands, and we are blessed, every one of us, with exceptional liberties, not the least of which is to be able to gather in this place and worship as we please, and we are to be thankful to God for those kinds of gifts. Now, I remember when I I learned this for the first time, uh, there are other countries and they celebrate other days. As, as Ryan said, yesterday was Canadian Independence Day. Who knew? There's an Australian Independence Day. September 16th is Grito de Dolores in, in Mexico, Mexican Independence Day. It's not Cinco de Mayo. India, India was colonized by the same people, by the British, but they didn't win their independence until 1947. And they celebrate that day on August the 15th. It's Indian Independence Day. Haiti, this is very interesting to me, gained its independence from the French in 1803. Jamaica did not get its independence until 1967. Palestine still does not have its independence from the British mandate. But you get the idea um, how wonderful it is to love your country, whatever country that is, and celebrate your heritage, and thank God for your blessings, and thank God for your homeland. And frankly, it's part of what I I love. It's what I love about the Olympics. I never never miss the the opening ceremony with all the flags. It's what I love about World Cup soccer. You have not partied ever until you party with Guatemalan soccer fans. So love, pride, joy of country uh, is great. Um, Even giving thanks to God for all of that, whatever your colors are, mine are red, white, and blue, but whatever your colors are, all good. But having your head in the sand about the relationship between God and your country, not so much. Joining God and country, joining God and your country too closely, at best is problematic and at worst can be disastrous or even demonic. In a way that I have personally not felt since the Vietnam era, the divisiveness in this country on the eve of this holiday has reminded me that this holiday is doing exactly what it is supposed to do. It's brought out my deepest feelings of gratitude and love for this amazing country. And at the same time, it has caused me to reflect and in some sense even confess the growing dissonance between reality and what we say we are. 
all countries, by virtue of being human constructs, all countries are imperfect, all of them. That would be true, of course, for us. We have these high ideals, but we also have these very dismal realities. I'll say the phrase, you'll know where it came from. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. You probably know that's on the Statue of Liberty. It's actually on the pedestal that's underneath. They put the pedestal there when they're trying to raise funds. It was written by Emma Lazarus, the same Lazarus of H&R Lazarus here in Columbus, Ohio. She was a Jewish immigrant. But if today you are too tired or you're too poor or there are too many huddled masses, you're not so welcome. We often and are right now, again, responding too slowly to the moral arc of history, which, by the way, says Jesus now, is biased. The moral arc of history is biased. It's biased toward the poor and the ill and the hungry, the widow, the orphan, the alien. We've proclaimed as a country the equality of all people. Didn't even sound funny to say all men, all people, and yet we continue to define some people as less than human, unworthy of their own self-determination or fair treatment or even having the ability to love one another. We've affirmed there's a quest for life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness for everyone, and at the same time, We limit life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, condemning some based on accidents of economics or race or health to lives of second-class nature. And you can't just wave the flag and say we are this. You can't just stamp God on something and say, well, that's the way it is. That's the way it should be because we are God's country. We are God's favorite country. It doesn't work that way. Now, based on the three readings from today, which I I shared with you earlier, they're not cherry-picked. And they said, well, let me just pick some lessons that agree with what I want to say today. It doesn't work like that. We do have a lectionary, and we skipped it today. We said, well, let's get the lectionary for the nation. Well, it turns out Lutherans don't have that. We don't have that. And we don't have that because when it was time to make a lectionary, we couldn't decide if we meant Sweden or Germany or Denmark. But the Anglicans, the British, the same people we rebelled from, they had those lessons. And so we just chose those. Prayers for the nation. And they surely remind us that this today is not the way God wants things to be. Um, Based on those three readings alone, um, the Deuteronomist reminds Israel that your God doesn't play favorites. Your God doesn't have any favorites. Your God is impartial. You yourself are one strangers, and you yourself are aliens and foreigners and refugees, he says. And therefore, since God has showered you with love as God's people, as God's beloved, you are now to love the stranger and the alien and the refugee as you love yourself. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that this isn't God's country. God has another country, another homeland. Heaven is our home. We pray that all the time. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We don't say, hey, your kingdom is right here. How about making it better? Our goal is not to get ourselves to heaven, but to bring heaven here, the kingdom to come. And then the gospel reading Jesus, uh, who not once, but often hammers home his central teaching that we are to love God and we are to love our neighbor first, first. 
Now, let's be practical. Let's put that into an application. You can love the country. You can. You can love your country. And you can love your family. And you can love money. And you can love the church. You can love the Hoosiers. You can, for God's sake, even love the Buckeyes. I got it. But first and foremost, you are to love God and love your neighbor, all of your neighbors, as you love yourself. And anything else is idolatry, sin. Arguably, the unofficial God uh, of the United States of America has been what is called the God of manifest destiny, uh, the Calvinist God, who guided some of our pilgrim parents across the ocean and inspired them to claim this land from sea to shining sea, to claim it as their own, and in their minds gave them the right to destroy its earliest inhabitants. And this God chose America, said Jonathan Edwards, the greatest preacher of that era, As a city on a hill, God chose America, the one country, as a city on a hill for a destiny, exactly like the God who chose the children of Israel. That that God has made us exceptional. Above all the other nations, God gave us this land the same way God gave Israel their land. Which is wonderful if you never read the New Testament. For Jesus, who says that we don't have a homeland there, um, it's all the same here. We're all loved by God. But that God of manifest destiny has been very, very motivational. And unfortunately, it still is. Along with good weather and wheat and weapons, it has become the great rhetoric that pretty much allows us to do what we want in the world. But it's also... Yes, motivational, but it hasn't always been ethical, and it hasn't been godly. It has led in our history to slavery, to genocide, to chauvinism, and to an ongoing racism. And a whole lot of what passes as vision right now in this country is built on a perspective that God favors us more than any other nation in the world, which in turn gives us the right to do what we please with our possessions, our resources, even when those resources happen to be within your borders or in your pocket. Now, versions of this American exceptionalism, is what it's called, show up in virtually every politician's speech you've ever heard, sometimes very seriously, and sometimes just gratuitously. Uh, There's not been a president in an inaugural speech since Abraham Lincoln, who has not finished by saying, God bless America, even when we don't know what God that particular president is talking about. And I will never forget having Dr. Ephraim Cato here with us from Tanzania. It was shortly after 9-11. We drove over to Annapolis, Maryland to visit my son at the Naval Academy. And everywhere we went, every town we went, was a big sign that said, God bless America. And I remember him asking, how many more blessings do you want? Have you not seen the rest of the world? Sometimes it is in contrast and in contradiction to the command that we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. 
So I want to give you a different vision, a different way to think about this, a different version, a way to, to take your love for this country and your love for God and for your neighbors and make them work together. Um, Christian doctrine affirms what is called omnipresence of God. Th- that is that, that God is present in every place, in every situation, in every person, and clearly in every country all over the universe. And from that perspective, the omnipresence of God in all things in all countries, there aren't any boundaries. National lines don't mean anything. God's love from Alpha to Omega is for all people, all things, all creatures. And for Jesus, that knowledge of an omnipresent God who loves all people unconditionally was a primary spiritual principle. God's love included our enemies, according to Jesus, as well as our fellow citizens. It embraced the poor as well as it embraced the wealthy. It embraced the forgotten as well as the privileged. And accordingly, God's love was not for a chosen few, was not for one nation or one country. That was the whole point, not for one nation, but for all nations, all people. And that theological perspective allows us to rejoice and give thanks for the country that we are part of, and at the same time, keep our allegiance to a loving and gracious God for all people. Now, this is where I got real for me. I got real once when I was in college early on when the Vietnam War, and you had to decide what you were doing. It got real when my father, the patriot, sat in the living room with me when they called out the draft numbers on the 6 o'clock news, and my father cried tears of joy that I would not be drafted. My last congregation in southern Indiana... I followed a pastor that was uh, terminated after a number of years of conflict. Um, it was a really challenging place at the time. And I was a part-time pastor. I was a full-time graduate student in a little small town of about 6,000 people. And I went to school 40 miles away. I mean, when I was in the small town, I was um, a raging liberal. And I would drive 40 miles over to the Bloomington campus, and I would suddenly become an arch-conservative. And nothing changed about my opinions. It's just where I happened to be standing at that moment. Well, our congregational president became really a dear friend of mine. His name is Irvin Boozy. God rest his soul. He's a great guy. Um, former Marine. Uh, first week I was there, I got there on a Tuesday. And on Wednesday, I walked into the little sanctuary. And I noticed that there was an American flag on a pole right next to the altar. Like, if I'd gone this with my hands, I would have hit the flagpole. And that wasn't going to work for me very well. That, that's what American exceptionalism looks like when you confuse um, church and state to such a degree. And it's why there aren't American flags in Lutheran worship spaces. Well, um, I went to move it uh, to somewhere else. But as it turned out, the pole was so big that it wouldn't fit anywhere else. The only place it would fit was right in the middle of this little sanctuary. It wouldn't fit out in the narthex. It wouldn't fit even to the side because of how this thing sloped. And I'm like, uh-oh, I got a problem. And they were so anxious not to have a problem with the pastor, and they knew that I was probably going to be one, that Irvin had said, um, if you've got any problem, pastor, you just call me right away. So one day in, I called Irvin. And I said, Irvin, i got a problem. He showed up in 20 minutes. Um, it's amazing. And I explained to him that, you know, Irvin, God loves this country, but not just this country. 
And we need to move this flag because this flag right now is not consistent with our primary allegiance, which is to God and to our neighbors. And I remember looking at Irvin, and I could see the gears turning, and he wasn't saying anything. Not lying about this, I was about as anxious as I was preparing this sermon today. Irvin looks at me and says, no problem, Pastor. Walks out of the room, goes out to his pickup truck, comes back in with a circular saw, just sawed the pole right in half. Carried it out, put it in narthex, perfect. I will be forever grateful that Irvin Boozy, Purple Heart recipient and American hero, understood the magnitude of God's love for all people and not just American people. I titled the sermon today, it's, it's easy to take for granted, and I, I think that's an important reminder for us all. Um, this is an amazing country with amazing freedoms, with amazing blessings, and each and every citizen is the beneficiary of an amazing heritage and amazing sacrifices. And there's nothing wrong And there's a whole lot right uh, about flying the flag and giving thanks and rejoicing that we live in this country. But this ain't God's country. God doesn't have a country. God has a vision. God has a plan. God has a will. God has a desire for this country and for every country on the face of the earth. And so here's what I I think we should be careful not to forget. Um, We're not blessed because we deserve it or because we're God's favorite. God doesn't have any favorites. We're all God's favorites. Inexplicably, God has generously blessed this particular country. And it's so easy to forget that that's not about how good we are, that's about how good God is. But second, what's also really easy to forget, to our peril, is that God blesses some in order to be a blessing to others. To whom much is given, said Jesus, much is always required. When I finally gave up at about six o'clock last night, I said, okay, I'm going, I'm going here today. Um, it was really about an overwhelming feeling that I'm, I'm really glad to be here. I'm glad to be here on this holiday weekend. I'm glad to be here with you in a church where we have the freedom to worship I'm glad to give thanks to God for all of our blessings. Um, Believe me, the Wilsons have been to Haiti and El Salvador in the last six months. We got one son that's been on the other side of the world for the world's freedoms and another that feeds the poor every single day. There's nowhere that I would rather be than in this country, in church, giving thanks for my blessings. But I'm also really glad to be able to pray for this country and for our neighbors and for our leaders and for God's whole world. Amen.